Church on the North Coast, as you're giving, can you please welcome to the stage Pastor Dominic Whitfield. I don't know if I know anybody else that can pull off pink shoes than Pastor Jeremiah. Come on, give it up for Pastor Jeremiah. Don't you love him? Thank you, Lorenzo. I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. That's awesome. That's really cool. What's happening, Cleveland? Y'all doing good? Good. Go Browns. Kicked off a couple minutes ago. Come on, somebody. We've got high hopes this year. High hopes. That just means it's a long way down. That's all. It's just a long fall. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think this is going to be not, I don't know if, I think it's too early to say our year, but it's going to be a good one, right? We're hoping for a good one. Yeah. Make the playoffs, win a game or two. That'd be cool. That'd be a fun little run. Well, I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Um, Many of you know that Emily and I have accepted the senior pastor position at her father's church in in Abilene, Texas, and so we're kind of headed out on our way out, and if you didn't know that, sorry to share it like that, but I'm really excited to be here because this, I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be the last time that I preach to you as your campus pastor. I know, I know. But I'll be back. I just won't be at, back as your campus pastor. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. But um, as I was preparing this message and preparing this moment, I think we got ushers over here. We need some people to to collect the tithes and offering. Thank you. Um, as I was preparing for this moment, I just thought about what the Lord would have me leave with you all to leave here with you. And I truly believe that the Lord has uh, has done an incredible work here in, in this campus specifically, but all across Church on the North Coast. And, and over the last few years, as, as we've all matured in the Lord, we've really come into like this mature relationship with Jesus. And, and man, I'm just like, I'm really excited to continue that on. I don't want to just like, this isn't enough for me, right? Is anybody else with me? Like, this isn't enough. Like, I don't, I, I want to continue to grow in, in the knowledge of the Lord. And so um, really this, I'm going to share with you really what I believe has become my life message, what I believe is the most important thing in the life of a believer and in the life of anybody who is alive. This is the most important thing. Um, We'll talk through it a little bit, but I'm really excited to share this message with you today. It's called The Knowing. Can everybody say The Knowing? The Knowing. The Knowing. There's a scripture verse I'm going to share with you. Um, I've said it many times, so you've probably heard it from me before, but this is, like I said, become probably the most significant scripture verse in my life, especially over the last year. Um, But it's found in John chapter 17, verse 3, and in this context, we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is kind of going through this moment of suffering, of toil. Remember the the story as he's he's sweating drops of blood, he's in anguish, and he's really wrestling with this, with this with this calling that he has to go and bear the cross, to die on the cross, to suffer, to die, and then ultimately to be raised again for our sins. And, and he's praying for himself here in, in John chapter 17, and he says these words, and, and man, when I read them, it just really knocked me off of my seat when I really understood what, what he was saying. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I want to extend a little challenge to you all, okay? Can, we, can I challenge you a little bit today? we got a couple of milestones of, like, challenges that I'm going to present. The first one is this. I want every single person in this room to commit this scripture verse to memory, okay? Can we do this? And, and here's the reason why. Because knowing God, the knowledge of God, is and should be our north star, 
It is the most important thing that you could ever do as a believer. Yes, it's more important than your calling. It's more important than your purpose, than your destiny. It's more important than what's going right and going wrong in your life. Knowing the Lord has to be our north star. It has to be everything. The defining thing in our life has to be the pursuit of the knowledge of God. And here is why it is so important to know the Lord. It is impossible to love that which you do not know. If you want to love the Lord well, before you're able to love him, you must know him. It's impossible to obey that which you don't know. Does anybody want to be obedient to the Lord? Well, well, guess what? Before you can obey, you must know him. It's impossible to surrender and yield to something that you don't know. It's impossible to follow in the footsteps of Christ if you don't know where his footsteps are going. So the truth is, the most important thing for us as believers, where it all begins, where it all starts, is knowing God. And I love how Jesus says this and sets this up in this verse, because he could have said anything here, right? Like, he could have said anything he wanted to. He could have said, and this is eternal life, that they walk the streets of gold. That's not what he said. He could have said, this is eternal life, that they walk in their purpose and their destiny. Nope, that's not what he chose to say. How many know that Jesus doesn't speak idle words? What he says he meant, and it's clear and and concise and to the point, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you. So do me a favor. Let's all read this together, and you're going to go home. I believe that you guys could have this memorized before we even leave church today, okay? Here we go. Let's read it together as a family. John chapter 17, verse 3, it says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. So the idea I have for you today, it's more of a prayer, but I want to read it to you, and maybe you can write it down and just make this your prayer. The idea is this. May my life be full of the knowledge of God. May my life, if there's anything that could be said about Dominic Whitfield when, you, you know, my, you guys are at my funeral I'm being buried, I'm long dead and gone. If there's anything that I want said of me, it's not that, oh, he was a great preacher or, oh, he was a nice guy or, or even if even he was a great dad, a great husband, those things are awesome. But if there's one thing I could choose, it would be that it would be said of me that I knew the Lord, that I knew God, that I positioned and created my life around this concept of knowing who God is. And I know you want the same thing as well. So let's, uh, oh, let me share this with you before we pray. We're going to pray in a second. But I, I thought this scripture verse was so powerful. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is what, this is what Peter says. And, and we, we often quote this scripture verse and we talk about how we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. But I want to show you where that comes from. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Watch this. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So everything has been given to you that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that you need to live life and to live a holy, righteous life is yours, but it comes to you through what? Knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowing him. And here's what this means for us. Just like I said, everything flows from this point in your life. Everything that you do 
You're, you're, you being a good husband, a good wife, you being a good father or mother, you being a good employee, a good business owner, you being a good fantasy football manager, like all of this stuff, some of y'all didn't get that, it's okay, all of this stuff flows from this point in your life, knowing God. I can't be a good husband if I don't know the Lord. I can't be a good father if I don't know the Lord. I can't be a successful person if I don't first know God. So everything in our life revolves around this action of knowing the Lord. So do me a favor, bow your heads with me, close your eyes. I want to pray as we get into this word today. Somebody, if the, if the Browns score, just give me a shout, okay? And then we'll just know. Just give me a hallelujah and we'll, we'll just know. That the Browns had scored. Give me an amen if they hit a field goal. So it's amen for a field goal. It's a hallelujah for a touchdown. Okay. All right. I'm just kidding. Don't do that, please. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. We're so honored by your presence here today. So grateful for who you are, the gift of salvation that you've given us, that we've been justified by your blood. We thank you that we're now being sanctified by your word, the washing, the purifying of your word. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, we ask that you would fill this room with wisdom and revelation according to your word in Ephesians 1.17, that you would fill our life with the knowledge of God. We love you and we bless you. We ask that you would bless our time together. In your name I pray. Everyone said. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do here um, for a couple minutes is to give you three of the things that I believe will help you know God the most in your life, okay? So three things that I've learned over the last year or so that have enabled me to know God to a certain extent. And I want to say this because I know some of you in this room are very seasoned Christians. You've been around for a long time. You know the Lord. You know the Word. Some of you in here might not have been around for as long. Maybe you've never even given your heart to the Lord and you're here just because you got brought to church today. That's fine. Wherever you fall on this line, the beautiful thing about God is that it doesn't matter if we give every second of every day of our life to knowing him, how many know that there's still more to be known about the Lord? Like, the beautiful thing is you can spend a hundred years on this earth. You cannot eat, not drink, not sleep, not go to work, not do anything, but know the Lord, and you still will not come close to knowing his magnitude, his beauty, his authority, his wisdom. And it's such an, it, it kind of is like overwhelming, but at the same time, it's so encouraging because it's like I can give my life to knowing God and know that I'll never see the end of his goodness. I'll never see the end of his faithfulness. I'll never see the end of his beauty, that, that we serve a, an eternal God that has created for us this privilege to know him eternally. And so I don't care where you're at in this room, you're not done, and there's still more to be discovered. Amen? Amen. So here the, here's the first thing that I want to share with you. Um, this, is, this is the best, the first and the best way to know God is you honor the word of God. You honor the word. Everybody got your paper Bible? Wave it at me if you got your paper Bible. Come on, y'all know the drill. Yep, you got your paper Bible. This is the best way to know the Lord and to find out who he is. Can I tell you something? I don't mean to be mean to anyone in here, um, but... I don't trust people who say, 
oh yeah, I don't really, I don't really read the Bible. I just like listen to worship music and that's my time with the Lord. I don't like, I don't read that much. I just like, like to soak in his presence. I'm sorry, I love you. I don't trust you. I will not listen to a word that you say. Because although you might have all of the feelings of the presence of God, you don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I, I love those people that say, oh, I just love to spend time in prayer. I feel like the Lord speaks to me in prayer, and he's, he just prophetically ministers to me. So I don't really need to read my Bible because the Lord's speaking to me now. I love you, and, and the Lord loves you, but I do not trust you. I will never listen to a word that you say. And it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because you don't know who God is. If you do not consume the word of God, I don't care how anointed you are, I don't care how gifted you are, I don't care how spiritual you are, I don't care how holy you are, if you don't know the word of God, you don't know God. <laughs> you, you can't speak into people's lives. You can't say, hey, yeah, the, the Lord told me the other day in my prayer closet X, Y, and Z, unless you show me in the word of God, I cannot trust a thing that comes out of your mouth. Why? Because this is the best, this is the best way that we know God. Is it the only way? No, it's not the only way. But 99% but of the time, you know him through his word. I want to show you this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews starts out their book this way. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by what? By the prophets, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God does speak through prophets. He speaks through these interpretations and dreams and visions and all these incredible things, but he speaks primarily through his Son, which was the Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is how God speaks to you and me. And, and, and for us to treat this as an extracurricular part of our Christianity means that we don't truly know who God is. And we don't truly know what this is if you treat this flippantly. Because many of our Bibles are at home gathering dust on our nightstands. But we want to know God. If you want to know God, you must, you must know the word. And you must honor the word of God. Like, we talked about this a little bit, I think, last time I was preaching, but we, we have to honor this word. Like, this is not, this is not self-help advice. Like, I, it drives me crazy when I hear, like, business owners and, like, uh, successful, like, entrepreneurs on, online, they talk about, um, you know, the book of Proverbs, and they'll often quote scripture verse, and they're like, yeah, the Bible says this about, you know, business, basically, and so, you know, the word of God is, is, is a great resource to go and, like, get business transactions done, and it's like, are you kidding me? No, this, this Bible is not so that you can have a successful business. The word of God does not exist so that you can even have a successful marriage, like, we don't come to the Word just so we can be good Christians. The Word of God is like a window that we get to look through to behold an everlasting God. Here's the beautiful thing about the Word of God. The Word of God shows us exclusively who God is. It's like, like I said, looking through a window. Everything about this reveals Jesus. Now, stay with me. This does not reveal everything about Jesus, because he is eternal. And the Bible even says that had, had 
we recorded everything Jesus did. It wouldn't fit all of the libraries in the world, right? So this isn't an exhaustive comprehension of, of everything about God, but everything about this is about him. Everything in this points to Jesus. And so one day we, one day we won't need the scriptures because we'll see him as we are seen. One day we won't need the word of God because we'll have Jesus in the, in the flesh. We'll get to hold him and, and speak to him and spend eternity with him. And, and that's such a beautiful moment that many of us in here are waiting for. But until then, we have this window to look through. This window to peek through that we might glance a bit of his glory. This, this thing is about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's, you're not David fighting Goliath. That's not who you are. I'm sorry. You are the scared Israelite on the hill, too afraid to do anything. That's who you are. Jesus is David, and, and death and sin is Goliath, and Jesus defeated death and sin on the cross. Like, the, like the Bible's not a story about you. Like, you're just like, I'm, I'm Noah, and I'm floating on, above my problems, and the Lord's saving me from my issues. You're not Noah, man. Stop it. That's a story about Christ. And about how Jesus is the ark that whoever is found in Christ is saved from the judgment of God. This isn't about you and me. This is like everything from Genesis to Revelation, it all points to the Son of God. It's all about the Son of God. And if you treat this book as like a resource to help you be a better Christian, you, you can discard it because you don't need it. It's like, oh, I got things going on. I don't need to read my Bible. I'm good. Or if you, if you treat this book as, like a, as, a, as a self-help book to help you run your business or whatever, when things are good, you can discard it because you don't need it. But if you honor the word of God as the window that you get to know him through, it doesn't matter what goes on in life. Because every single day, my heart's desire is to peek through this window so I might see him. And that is what it means to honor the word of God. Go with me to Exodus chapter 34. If you have your Bibles, you can mark this. I, I would just even write down Exodus chapter 34, 33 and 34. Incredible passage of scripture verse, verses where Moses, you know, God is dealing with the children of Israel. He's disappointed in them again because they keep sinning. And he says, I'm not going with these people anymore. And Moses pleads with God and says, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. <laughs> we're, we're waiting on you, God. And, and God relents and comes with Moses. But, but Moses asks him and says, God, can I see you? Can I know you? Show me your glory. He, he essentially asks, who are you, is what Moses asked God. And this is what God's response was to Moses. It says this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, And the Lord passed before him, and proclaimed. So, so this, is, this is what God did, okay? So Moses said, who are you? Tell me who you are. And God proclaimed. He came before Moses and he began to speak. He said this, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I want you to see what God does. Moses asks this very important question, who are you? And God replies by telling Moses, speaking words about who he is. Can I tell you something? We have asked, humanity has asked this question, God, 
Who are you? And what God has done is he's spoken to the prophets, to the fathers, to the mothers of old, to the apostles, and he has described himself. He has answered this question of who are you? And he has compiled it into 66 books and he has given it to the church so that we might know who God is. So everything about this word is designed to bring revelation and insight as to who God is. This is what the word of God is. And I I, I tried really hard the other day to figure out how I can articulate it eloquently enough to entice you to read the Bible. And I just couldn't really figure it out. I've tried to, I've basically tried to figure it out for the last 10 years of my ministry life, but I just don't know what else to say. If you don't actively read the Bible every single day, you're missing out. You're just missing out on who God is. One verse in your pocket on the Bible app, it's not enough. You can't do that. Like one chapter of the Bible, it's not enough. Like I want to challenge every person in this room, tomorrow morning when you wake up, read at least three chapters of the Bible. And don't just read it. Don't just like read it and just close it and say, okay, I'm done. I mean, study the word of God. Like, get into what the context is. Like, who are these people speaking to? God, what was the, what was the time like around this story? What do these Greek and Hebrew words mean? And, and look into the depths of the Bible. And don't you dare say, Pastor, I can't do that. That's too much time. I don't know how to do that. Because listen, I just spent two hours, and I know many guys in this room, you spent two hours drafting these fake football players for your fake football team, and you knew every statistic behind these football players. You know who the head coach is, you know who the assistant coach is, you know who the quarterback is, you know who the quarterback's younger brother is, you know every detail about every pass that was thrown in the season of 2022, and you can recite all of that stuff, but you can't tell me one scripture verse. You have the time. Don't tell me you don't have the time. Don't tell me you don't have the mental capacity. You have the time. And ladies, I'm coming for you too, okay? I don't know much, but I do know that my wife knows every single HGTV show, star, host, all that stuff. Knows about her family. Some of y'all know more about the, 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 what are they called, desperate housewives or something? Some of y'all know about the, the housewives more than you know about the scriptures, And it's funny and we laugh about it, but how consumed are we with the things of this world? These things that are fleeting, that are perishing, that are that are gonna be rolled up at the end of time. Who cares about football? I do. I just I just adjusted my team before I came up and played. But here's here's what I'm talking about. I did, I had to make a substitution. My tight end got hurt. I know I had to. But this is what I'm talking about. We can't get more consumed with the things of this world than we are with the word of God. Like, man, you have the time. You have the mental capacity. You have the resources. You are a smart individual. You can read this at a deeper level than just going surface level. You can do it. And it might be intimidating, but there are so many, everybody look around, there are so many mothers and fathers and mature Christians in this room that can show you the depths of the word of God. Just not diving in is a poor excuse. It's a poor excuse. You're missing out on 
who the Lord is because you don't open your Bible. Here's what John chapter 5 says, and I'll end this point with this. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And this is what Jesus says. And these are they which testify of me. Jesus is saying this, you, you know the scriptures, but you're missing the main character of the scriptures. The scriptures point to me, they point to me, they talk about me. And so it's not enough just to read the Bible to learn how to run your business or do all this stuff. You have to find Jesus. And let me tell you something, you don't have to look that hard. Every single dot, every single I, every single T, every letter that's in this book, it all points to Jesus. It's all about him. So when you sit down and you open this word, you open the scriptures, you say, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? The word of God will begin to come alive to you because everywhere you look, you can't help but see the cross. Everywhere you look, you can't help but see Jesus. But if you read this just for trivial things, you'll miss him. And that's what the Pharisees did. They memorized the word of God just so that they could say, yes, I memorized it. And they missed the living God standing right in front of them, who all of the scriptures, all the prophets, all the law were pointing at Jesus, and they missed him. They missed him. We can't miss him. You don't want to miss him, I promise. (laughs) Once you begin to open up the word and you find him in it, you'll never want to miss him again in a day in your life. So the first thing, if you want to know the Lord, you have to honor the word. Second thing is this. Second thing, we minister to him. This is what I want to talk to you about. I have found such incredible peace and joy and fulfillment in this idea of ministering to the Lord. We have to get outside of this of this, uh, this mentality where we, we just only relate to God when we need something. This this. Give me mentality is, is hurting you in your Christianity. This idea of coming before the Lord and saying, God, I need, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. We have to learn how to come to him as, as the creature, not demanding something from the creator, but honoring and glorifying our creator before we give him a long laundry list of things that we need. I heard something said, and it was so sobering. I don't even know if I, I've debated on even saying this, but I do want to say it because um, it was so powerful. I forget who said it, but he said this. We have such audacity to think that God didn't hear our prayers because if he would have heard what I said, he would have done it. And the fact that he didn't do what I said and asked him to do is a sign that he must not have heard me. Because when I speak, I'm so important that God needs to move on my behalf. That's gross. And, and, I, and my goal today is just to reframe that perspective a bit, to remind us that God is so loving, he's so gracious, he's so caring, he's so gentle and forgiving with us, that oftentimes we forget who we're dealing with. We forget that we're dealing with the all-consuming fire of God. We forget that we're dealing with this holy creator of heaven and earth, that how dare we snap our fingers and demand him to move on our behalf. 
Now, I'm not saying we don't ask him to do things. That's not what I'm asking. He's so loving and kind and caring. He desire, the Bible says in Luke, that he desires to give us the kingdom. His, his, his heart is to give us these things. But as the creature, I don't ever want to get into a position where I'm demanding my heavenly father to move on my behalf. I don't ever want to move in that direction. Before I do anything, before I do anything in the presence of God, my goal is to hollow his name. It's exactly what Jesus teaches us to do when he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallow be your name. It is this act of submission, and he goes on to say this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that, that phrase there? It is this humble submission, realizing that you're approaching a holy God. That you're not coming just to your best friend who owes you $5. You are coming to a holy, righteous, all-powerful God, and you better come in correctly. Now, we serve a very gracious and merciful God where, where he's, he, he doesn't just smite us down when we come in the wrong way, but he could if he wanted to. <laughs> he could if he wanted to. And I don't mean to strike, well, I guess I do mean to strike a little bit of fear in your heart. We should be fearful of God. We shouldn't be scared of him, but we should be afraid of him. We shouldn't be scared of, like, there's two different types of fear. And I, I want to go into this because it's so important. God descends on Mount Sinai, right, in fire, clouds of smoke, lightning, thunder. Do you remember this when the, in the book of Exodus where God comes down on Mount Sinai and all the children of Israel are standing behind the mountain? There's two types of fear, and you should have one. The, f- the first type of fear is where the children of Israel are overcome with fear, and they say, Moses, we don't want anything to do with this God. You go and talk to him. And Moses, he wasn't afraid of God, but he was filled with this holy, reverential fear of God where he approached that mountain. He was drawn into that mountain, and he came close to God in fear and submission of who he is. See, there's, there's a fear of being afraid of God, and that, draw, that pushes you away from him. But there's a reverence, there's a holy respect and honor for the Lord that will draw you to him. It'll draw you to his presence. And it's important that you're filled with that kind of fear of the Lord, where you're drawn to this holy, magnificent God. And our desire is to first minister to his heart. Now, before I say this, I want to be very clear. This sentence doesn't make any sense, and so we should never say it. God needs blank. You fill fill in the blank. This idea that God needs anything is just wrong. God does not need anything. He is the creator of all of creation. And there is not one thing in creation that doesn't need something else in order to exist. Right? So you exist, but if you didn't have food, you would stop existing. Right? Everything in creation needs something in order to exist. God does not need anything. Like even water needs something. It's, it's hydrogen and oxygen. They need each other to exist. But, but we don't, but God doesn't need anything. So I want to make this very clear. God doesn't need you to do anything for him. You are not holding up God's Godhead by your praise and your prayer. That's not, that's not how this is, right? It's not how this works. But being the only creatures in creation that possess this incredible gift called free will, we have the ability to choose God and to thus bless his heart. Everything else, like when Jesus says the rocks will cry out if you don't praise me, it, 
it sound, like it's a really cool thing and it sounds good, but, but the, the interesting thing is this. The rocks don't have a choice. They will cry out. That's what Jesus is saying. They, they don't have a choice. The rocks are going to cry out. All of creation is going to cry out. They're, they're not, they don't have free will. You and I have this incredible gift called free will that we can choose to cry out. We can choose to praise his name. And it is in that choosing him where God is blessed, where we bless his heart. And so we have the ability not to fill a need that God has, because remember, he doesn't need anything, but we have an ability to minister to his heart. And that should be our driving force. It is in that ministering to the Lord where I feel like many of us will begin to know him more. We'll begin to see everything that he has for us. Let me, let me share with you this. Actually, let me, yeah, let's read the scripture verse first. Let's go, to, let's go to 1 Kings. If you have your Bible, I'm going to go there too. Let's go to 1 Kings. Um, we're going to read, read a little bit of the word today. Is that okay? Is that okay to read the Bible? I've got like a lot of scripture today. I don't know why, but I guess that's a good thing, right? You know I'm not making this stuff up. We're going to go to chapter 17 of 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is a story of a man named Elijah and he encounters a widow. Do you remember this story? Anybody remember the story? Awesome. If you don't remember, it's okay. We're going to read it right now. Um, it says this in chapter 17, verse 8 of 1 Kings. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Watch this. This is kind of an interesting next sentence. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's weird. Not that it's a widow, but just because in that time, in those Bible times, widows weren't known as like these wealthy people. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of stuff, right? They were oftentimes struggling through life. And so God, I'm sure Elijah was like, could you not have picked anybody else to provide for me? <laughs> You're going to pick like some, somebody who's probably don't have a lot. Um, verse 10, it goes on to say this. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there, gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. That's kind of a weird, <laughs> that's not very encouraging, right, from Elijah. Elijah's like, well, don't worry. Just go ahead and you can go and make your food and die. But before you do that, you know, he says, go and do as you've said. But before you do that, make me a small cake from it first. <laughs> That's heartless, bro. Like, seriously, this is going to be their last meal, and you're asking for a piece of it? Like, come on, go find somebody else, right? It says, make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her, and her household ate for many days. How many days? 
many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elisha. So there's a couple of important things to note in this story. And I want to I kind of draw a parallel or make a comparison as Elijah representing the presence of God, okay? Elijah representing the presence of God. He was the man of God. He carried the word of God in that time. And the widow representing us, okay? We're going to go through a little Bible story. Sometimes we come to God and we expect him to meet our needs. And that is, that's what God does. He meets our needs. But I want you to see how this widow got her needs met, Because Elijah said, before you do what you are planning on doing, I want you to make me a cake. I want you to to minister to me. Before you get caught up in what you have going on, because you told me a really sad story, and I know that you got crazy things going on, little widow, but before you do what you need to do, I I need you. I need you. And the Bible tells us that as the widow listened to the word of the Lord, And before she tried to fill her own need, she met the need. Remember, that's a stretch because God doesn't need anything. But she ministered to the man of God. And it was in, watch, it was in her act of obedience to him that she found her provision. She found the the very thing she was believing God for in her laying herself down and ministering to the Father. A couple days ago, I shared this on social media, but a couple days ago, my, my son asked me for lunch, and I made my son lunch, and I made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was like super gourmet. It had the little cutout and everything. It was amazing. And so I set it on the table, and I said, all right, Judah, come sit down. We're going we're gonna, to, I got your lunch ready. So he jogs over to the table, and he stops about halfway, and he says, Dad, I can't sit down. I don't have my drink. And I said, all right, Judah, don't worry. If you come sit down, as soon as you sit down, I'm going to go get your drink. And he said, okay. And he gets a little closer to the table, and he stops, and he says, Dad, I can't sit down. I don't have my chips yet. I need my chips. And I said, Judah, I got you, bro. You don't have to worry about a thing. All you need to do is sit down. And if you were to just sit down, your good father will go over to the kitchen. I'll get your drink. I'll get your chips. I'll get you anything you need, but I just need you to sit down. I'm trying gentle parenting, okay? I'm trying it. It's not going well, but I'm trying my best, right? But this is what the Lord's saying to us, right? He's drawing you to himself. He wants you to minister to his heart. He's trying to get you to connect with himself. But before you get there, you're like, God, but I need this. God, I can't come to the table of the Lord right now. I can't come to your presence right now because I need a new job and you promised me a new job. And and we're waiting until all of these promises in our life are fulfilled that we might have peace and rest with the Lord. But that's not how it works. You must come to the table of the Lord. In Psalms 23, it says that he has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. It is in us coming to him. What's the table of the Lord? It is him. It's Christ. Jesus is the table of the Lord. And when we come to him and we forget, even if it's temporarily, if we forget the concerns and cares of our own life, lay it down and come to the Lord and bless his name, what you'll find is that he He has already provided the things that you need, and they're at the table. They were just waiting for you to come this whole entire time. And then, this is probably the most important 
lesson to be learned by this. Because if God didn't teach you this lesson in giving these gifts, you could start to honor and worship and get caught up in the gifts more than him. Like if God just gave us everything that we wanted when we asked him for it, we wouldn't find the significance in him. We would find the significance in the stuff. But when we come to the Lord, even if we're asking him for things and we honor him and and then we say, God, I need this. When we come to him and we find joy and peace and satisfaction in him, what you'll realize is what he gives you isn't even as sweet as his presence. Like, so, like there's some people in this room, and I, just to use a practical example, some people in this room, you might have been believing for a spouse, and you might be believing for a spouse and say, man, God, you promised me a spouse, you promised me a spouse. I watched my mom go through this for a decade, over a decade, right? And this was really difficult for her. And it was, wasn't until the point where she found true peace and joy and satisfaction, not in the promise fulfilled, but in Christ. And when she found Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm sad satisfied in you. It was in that moment that God brought her spouse alongside of her. Why? Because, because if God would have, would have given that to her in that season, she wouldn't have cherished the Lord. She would have cherished her spouse more. But this is where God's wanting to get you to. He's wanting to get you to a place where you love him, not the gift, where you honor him, not what he has for you, because he's so much better. And this place is initiated when we minister to the Lord. When we minister to him, we find joy and peace in him and not what he has for us. Like the Lord challenged me on this not too long ago and said, Dominic, if you never preach another message in your life, if you never minister to my people again in your life, will you still be happy? And I said, I don't know. I, have, I had found too much joy and satisfaction in this and not in him. And my challenge to us is that if you never see your destiny fulfilled, if you never see your purpose, if you never get those promises that the Lord had promised you, if you never see anything even go right in your life, will you still be satisfied in him? Will you still be content with him? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because if you can honestly answer that question and your answer is no, it's not a bad thing, but it's something that you need to start fixing. You need to start ministering to him and finding him. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We seek first him and his righteousness and when we find it, that's the gift. That's the prize. So that's the second one, minister to his heart. Here's the third one. You ready for the last one? Last one is this, know him in obedience. Know him in obedience. This has been really fun for me, and I'm being sarcastic when I say this. This has been really fun for me over the last few weeks, is that um, obedience is hard. Anybody find it hard, difficult? Obedience is hard, and in order to obey the Lord, it takes, it takes a lot out of a Christian. It, it's difficult to do sometimes. Um, but what I found is that this is, this is an incredibly it's an incredible way to know him when you're obedient to him. It, like when, you, when, when God asks you to do something and you actually do it, it's like, oh man, I get to know. Like you're knowing him. He reveals himself to you in, in a new way. It's crazy. But I want to show you this. And so I was, 
I, you guys are probably tired of this, of me talking about this story in the Bible, and I'm sorry, um, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to use it anyways, because I was thinking, well, they've heard this before, so let me find a different passage of Scripture to use, and I was looking, and the Lord was like, what are you doing? Like, you're being dumb. Stop. Share, the, share what I give you. Stop being stupid. So this is me sharing what, I, what the Lord has given me. But in Genesis chapter 22, we see this, uh, we see this story, and many of you know it by now. Um, but it's a story of Abraham, and he's sacrificing his son Isaac. Do you remember this story? Everybody should say yes, because I've preached it like 50 times. Um, but this is really important. So Abraham, if you don't know the story, God promises Abraham a son. And he says, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son, you're going to have many, many children, and nations are going to come from you. And so God fulfills his promise to Abraham, and then after God fulfills his promise, God asks Abraham to then sacrifice that promise, which is crazy. And this is such a wild story, but we're going to read it a little bit. And I want to show you how when you're obedient with God, Christ is revealed in your life, okay? I'm going to show you this. When you're obedient to God, Christ is revealed. So in in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start at verse 1. It says this, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, then he said, Here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, from whom, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Does anybody see some familiar verbiage in that sentence? That God asked Abraham to take his son, his only son, whom he loved, and go to Moriah. There's a scripture verse that says, so for, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, the begotten son, to this earth. And so without Abraham really even knowing it, he was prophetically declaring what God would one day do in sending his son to this earth. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Does anybody remember what Jesus rode into Jerusalem on? A donkey, that's crazy. And took Two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had showed him. Then on the third day, anybody remember how many days Jesus was dead? Three days? Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, just as Christ was crucified on the cross and bore the cross through the streets of Jerusalem. So the wood was laid on, his, on Isaac's back. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Offering And Abraham said, prophetically, without understanding what he was saying, Abraham prophesied one of the most incredible, profound words that have ever been spoken. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham, it was impossible for him to know what was going on. It was impossible for him to try to figure out why God was having him do what he was going to do. 
in the same way that God speaks to you and speaks to me and says, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I want you to go here. I want you to speak to that person. I want you to lay this down. I want you to pick this up. We immediately tell God to explain himself. God, show me why you want me to do this stuff before I listen. Abraham, it was impossible for him to know, but I want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. As Abraham is in heaven, he's looking down as Christ is dying on the cross, and he's saying, that's why. That's why. That's the same mountain I took Isaac up. Uh, my son Isaac, he, he, bore, he bore wood on his back just like that. Oh, gee, it took us three days to get there. Jesus, it took you three days to rise from the dead. Everything you had me do was a prophetic declaration that revealed Christ to this earth. And I'm telling you, Christian, when you obey God, when you are obedient to him, you are prophetically declaring Christ to this earth. You are declaring who the Son of God is in your obedience, whether you know it or not. You might not even be around on this earth long enough to see it, but one day you'll know. One day you'll know and you'll say, man, God, I get it now. I understand. I didn't understand then, but I understand now. And so when you and I are obedient to him, we know him through that obedience. We cannot get into a place that demands God to explain himself before we listen. We can't do it. He doesn't owe you an explanation. One of, the, one of the things that drives me crazy, it gets me out of my gentle parent mode and into my not-so-gentle parent mode, is when my, when my kids ask why. We, I mean, we were just driving here from the other church in Lorraine, and my wife turned back to Riley, our six-year-old, and says, hey, Riley, can I have my phone? I need to see it. And do you know what my daughter said? It doesn't matter why. Give me my phone. That's what I wanted to say but, you know, I'm trying to be a little bit better. It doesn't matter why. I don't owe you an explanation, six-year-old. Give me my stuff, okay? You better listen to me. All the parents said amen, right? But this is where we find ourselves with the Lord. I want you to lay this down. Why? I like this. Why? Shut up. I want you to go here. Why? Why, why, why? If you don't just listen to God, like he is the author and the finisher of all of creation. He wrote your story before you were even born and you're asking the author why. He does not owe you an explanation. Get your butt in gear and listen. If you never know why, it's enough just to obey the Lord, okay? <laughs> Stop asking him why, it's crazy. I wanna show you this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And I, I know we're taking a little bit of time here, but I'm almost done. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. This is what Peter says. For to, you, for to this you were called. He says, you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us not having to suffer because he already suffered for us. Amen. Let's go home. That's not what it says. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Ah, I'm sorry. I know. I was supposed to bring you good news today, and that's not good news, but it is good news. 
Because what did Christ suffer in? Yes, he endured pain on the cross. He did all of those things. But I don't believe that's what Peter is referring to. It's the suffering of Christ that we find in John chapter 17 where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, he's toiling, and he asks God and he tells God this. One statement, he says, God, if it's possible, would you allow this cup to pass from me? And then he says something that is in this sentence, what I believe is the primary suffering of every believer on this planet. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is, to me, the pinnacle of our suffering. Can I tell you something? The other day, my one-year-old was in the kitchen, and he wanted, to, he wanted a snack. And we told him no, because Emily was cooking dinner, and Emily grabbed the snack from him. And my one-year-old, I'm telling you, he can't even really speak yet. He went like this. Ugh! I, that's exactly what I did. I said, What? What in the world? Me and Emily looked at each other and was like, who taught that kid how to stomp his feet and growl when he didn't get his way? Do you know who taught him that? Satan. Sin did. I know, that's, that's kind of a joke. But here's the reality. We don't need to be taught how to sin. That's the thing. We are born with this flesh, this evil, gross flesh that is on the inside of us and, and that has, is trying to rear its ugly head up every single day. Now, I get it. You've been justified. You've been justified by your faith, by grace, through your faith in Christ Jesus. You've been justified, but you have yet to be fully sanctified, okay? I know some of y'all. You're not all the way sanctified yet, <laughs> And every single day, it's a fight to lay down that nasty flesh and to follow in obedience with the Lord. Just as Jesus submitted to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, our suffering, I believe, is submitting to the will of God in our life. We share in this beautiful fellowship of denying our flesh every single day and picking up our cross and saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Dominic who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It is not my will. It is not my desires. It's not what I want to do. It's Christ living in me. And it is in that place where you know the Lord, where you know Jesus. See, we want to know Jesus in all the high and mighty and amazing things, but nobody wants to know him in his sufferings. And I'm telling you, that's when you really know God. When you're able to look at Jesus and say, I don't know how you're going to make this work. I don't see any possible way this is going to come out good for me. But I know that you've said it. I'm going to believe you and follow you. It is in that place where you see the miraculous power of God, where you see him provide for you in ways that you never would have imagined. Man, don't you want to know him like that? I want to know him like that. So as we close here today, I want to give you this idea, and then I'm going to share one more scripture verse with you. But the idea is this. May my life be full of the knowledge of God. Let's do this. Let's just put our hands out like this for a moment. And let's make this our prayer. I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray as well. And I want you to pray your own prayer. And I want you to pray for the knowledge of God to fill your life. Holy Spirit, we thank you and honor you for your word today. 
We ask you, Jesus, that you would be revealed and known to us. May the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill our lives as the waters cover the sea with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord be so evident upon our hearts and our lives that we would be moved, God, to obedience, that we would know you through your suffering, Jesus, that we would be able to lay aside our own our own concerns and cares of this world, and that we would minister to your heart, God. We would be able to set aside the things that worry us and love you, Jesus. And forgive us right now for treating your word as something that is just common and trivial. Forgive us for using as it as a self-help book or tutor, but Father, would you create this honor for your word? this reverence for your word, that it is the only window that we get to look through to behold your glory and your beauty. And we commit to looking through it every single day. May the spirit of wisdom and revelation fall on every single person in this room. Just as Peter said, that we would have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. We love you, Jesus, and we bless your holy name. In your name I pray. What everybody said, amen. You do me a favor, if you could stand to your feet as we read this last scripture verse together. It's out of 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. John says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. The Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. You have been given such a precious gift today, and that is this ability to understand and to know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, And John echoes the words that Jesus says in 1 John 17, verse 3. He says, this is the true God and eternal life. I just feel like there's some people in this room here today that you're here and maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you came with friends or family or maybe you just found yourself here. And you have searched for this eternal life your whole life. You have tried to fill this this missing piece with anything that the world has to offer. And you've probably had it filled for a second. But it seems to slip through your hands. You can never really be satisfied. You can never really find that joy. It feels like, man, you thought that thing was joy, but then you figured out it was actually bondage. You thought that relationship was going to bring you satisfaction, but it also ultimately brought you chaos. There is only one thing, and it's not anything that this world can offer you. It's not even anything, anything that religion can offer you. It's not even any prayer that you can pray or worship song that you can sing or even amount of scripture that you can read. We see that from the Pharisees that they read the Bible and they missed Jesus. 
There's one thing that can satisfy and bring eternal life to your soul, and it is Jesus Christ. It is knowing him every single day. He's the only thing. Knowing who he is is the only thing that can make your heart come alive. Man, when, when you wake up in the morning and you read this word and, and you find Jesus in this word and you say, oh, Jesus, I didn't know you were like that. I, I found you today. That's the only thing that can make your heart come alive. That's it. There's nothing else that can do it. It's knowing him more and more. So I'm going to ask my altar ministers to come forward and if you wouldn't mind. And if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, you've walked away from him, or maybe if you're in this room and you say, you know what, I've never walked away from Jesus. I've always loved him, but I have this deep desire to know him more. If you're in in this room and you have a burning desire to know him more, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. And I'm going to ask these incredible altar ministers that are up here to pray Ephesians 1.17 over those that come before you today. Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And as you come forward today, we're going to bless you and we're going to going to declare that the spirit of wisdom and revelation falls on your life, that every single day you grow in the knowledge of the Lord. So put your hand on your heart for me if you don't mind. I want to bless you one last time. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, so much for this time, this moment. We thank you for your church, God. We bless these here today. We don't bless them with a gift or some information or some wisdom, but we bless them right now with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Would you release the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that we might understand you, we might know you, that we might realize and recognize who we're dealing with when we speak to this incredible God. Open our understanding, God, that we might comprehend the scriptures, Jesus. We bless your people here today. In your precious name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Well, before you run out that way, we want to invite you up here. Let our incredible altar ministers and team pray with you before you go. But remember to live right, love everyone, and pray hard, and we'll see you guys next time.